This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Bambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again and if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, very test member, for making this program possible. Tonight's special guest is Robert Stanley, author, journalist, researcher, editor of Unicus magazine, and radio host of Unicus Radio. Robert has researched UFOs for over 30 years and has written two books on the subject, Close Encounters on Capitol Hill and Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C., Robert Stanley will be with us shortly. To listen to the full interview, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately, and you'll have access to all of our material all the way from December 2008. Veritas Radio, Veritas TV, Discounts, Offers, our Manticore Forum, and more. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the subscribe button. For the price of two cups of coffee, you will be exposed to life-changing information. So don't delay anymore. Subscribe today. And don't forget, buy MMS directly from us. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. But it's so inexpensive too. Also, check our website for our futuristic 8GB metal-cased USB drive containing Seasons 1, 2, or 3. And if you'll be at the 2012 International UFO Congress in Scottsdale, Arizona from February 21st through the 26th, don't forget to say hello. I always enjoy meeting people. Visit the banner 
on our website for more information. And to get in touch with me, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Few people know that Washington, D.C. has more documented UFO sightings and alien encounters per square mile than any other location on Earth. Why are UFOs routinely coming to Washington, D.C.? And why is there such a vast cover-up of this important subject? Tonight, we will take you on a historic journey beyond your wildest imagination to a shocking conclusion. You will learn why even people in the UFO community prefer not to discuss this as it's too close to the truth. Over 900 reports show there has been an unprecedented increase in DC UFO activity from the years 2000 to 2010. To discuss this and much more, Robert Stanley is coming up next. This is Milton Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. This is Stephen Bassett, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Formerly a corporate journalist for Honda Research and Development in Torres, California, Robert M. Stanley is currently the editor of Unicus Magazine and the author of Close Encounters on Capitol Hill and Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C. He has passionately researched UFOs for over 30 years. In that time, he has interviewed dozens of eyewitnesses and leading experts. His ongoing investigation of UFOs has been featured on international television and radio and in print. Mr. Shelley is a native of Los Angeles, California, and currently resides in the state of Rhode Island. He has traveled to over 50 countries in search of answers to ancient mysteries. And to learn more about Robert Stanley and his work, visit his website at unicusmagazine.com. And directly from Barrington, Rhode Island, I would like to welcome Robert M. Stanley to Veritas. Hello, Mr. Stanley, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm doing well, Mel. Thank you for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. And may I call you Robert? Absolutely. Thank you. Please. And I have to say, Robert, I love it that you also use a Latin word <laughs> for your project, Unicus, which means unique. So let's give our listeners mm-hmm. some Unicus Veritas or unique truth tonight, okay? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I have to say, as as I was telling you offline, you Mm -hmm. have written two fabulous books. They're endorsed by by many reputable people. Mm. And when I received the books, of course, I always have a a level of expectation. 
but I have to say they they blew my mind because you you have compiled so much witness testimony all the way uh, from the 1850s mm-hmm. and uh, basically focusing in the Washington D.C. area alone. So mm-hmm. if so much information is coming from there, either everyone is crazy and a, and a crackpot in Washington, or there's something that our government doesn't want to tell us. But before you, you tell us more, what mm-hmm. prompted you? To, to write this book, and wh- when did this UFO bug started in your mind? Okay, the last question first would be, my passion with UFOs began when I was a very young child. I'd seen a picture that my father had in his possession of a UFO that he told me that the photographer didn't see it, hmm. yet somehow it showed up on the film. Now, I, what I was looking at was a color slide, which is actually a negative turned into a positive. So it was the actual original film. And I couldn't understand at that time, in fact, it took me decades before I had a, a clear answer as to how this can happen, that a person can take a picture of, let's say, uh, a landscape. And then <clears throat> when they get the picture developed, they see that there's a UFO there that yep. they didn't see with their visual eyes. So uh, that's how I got started. And uh, eventually, during the course of my life, mainly growing up in Malibu and also the Los Angeles area, I did have close encounters of my own. So that's really how I got involved in in researching it. Now, as far as reporting it, I've been doing that professionally since 1991 when I met my wife, Irene Chen, and she was uh, at that time had just returned from Peru and she'd had close encounters down there and she wanted to, she'd been um, guided by good extraterrestrials to publicize the fact that they're here and they want to help. And that's where Unicus Magazine, the magazine for Earthbound Extraterrestrials, was born. So we met at a UFO conference. I, I fell in love with her the first night I met her uh, and we began working together. So uh, I had quite a few years experience actually doing this professionally, but in 2000 and spring of 2005, I got an email from my friend Daryl Sims, who's an investigator and an experiencer down in Texas. The alien hunter. And, yeah. He, well, that's the name he uses, but he's a very, very gentle man. But yes. um, he's also, he is a hunter and he's a martial artist and he's quite an unusual character. But um, uh, he had forwarded me an email uh, that he'd received from a gentleman in Washington, D.C., uh, alleging that photographs had been taken at the Capitol building July 16, 2002, that showed a swarm of UFOs over the Capitol, and that there was actually one UFO, uh, spherical vehicle or entity, that actually landed on the roof. There was a disc-shaped vehicle that was hovering over the reflecting pool. And um, now... Did you say 2002? Yeah, July 16, 2002. It happened during the middle of the night. This is 50 years after one of those flaps. Okay. Yeah, right. And in fact, he was standing in the exact same location that the previous photographer 50 years earlier had been standing in, at the at the Capitol grounds uh, f- uh, filming a fleet of UFOs as they passed behind the Capitol building. So um, this is all very synchronistic. But anyway, um, uh, that night, uh, his name is Wilbur Allen. He's a professional photographer that had has a lot of experience uh, in film, but also in working in Washington, D.C. for companies like ABC. In fact, prior to taking those pictures, he had spent 14 years working for ABC. A lot of it was at the White House. Some of it was at the Capitol. So he 
he knows the area. He knows uh, the people there. He was actually working freelance that year uh, and taking a pictures for a uh, an album cover for a local recording artist. And it was between uh, 12 and 1, I believe, is at night. And there was nobody around. He was just taking these pictures and um, these objects, these vehicles, and I, I would assume entities, uh, showed up. So uh, he And he was using analog film at that time. So he actually has the 35 millimeter negative. So when Daryl forwarded me that email and he asked me, um, because he knows I, I know something about uh, UFOs, specifically as it relates to photography, he asked me if I thought these were real. And I said, well, there's no way for me to ascertain that from an email, uh, but um, there, there was contact information there. So I actually uh, emailed the photographer. He said, well, let's talk about it. So uh, that was uh, over six years ago. We we're still in contact on the phone and through email, and he's been sharing me even uh, recently. He's taking pictures of objects that we can simply not identify within the prohibited and restricted airspace of Washington, D.C. Now, you would wonder, being that that is the most protected <laughs> you know, area in the world, well, I mean, we can go back to 9-11 and yeah. you know, what happened there. But anyway, yeah. you obviously got so much attention because shortly after you published a report and pictures, Mm -hmm. You had uh, an unmarked black helicopter or more hovering over your home in, in California. Was that your, your very first wake-up call? Yeah, and actually it started with the one helicopter, and about a year later I had two very large military. I don't, in fact, I don't know how they, they must have been violating some kind of law to do that because um, uh, it's just a residential area. I mean, right. you can't fly that low over people's homes like that. The first time was really freaked me out. I had no idea what was going on because I was inside in the studio working and um, uh, suddenly the whole house started shaking and I'm thinking, what's going on? So I went outside and, and instead of circling around the house now, they had stopped. They were literally hovering over my driveway. Mm -hmm. I, 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 and I stood there with my mouth open looking at them. I couldn't see inside because it was all tinted windows. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I was looking and going, what are you doing? And I, at the moment, I didn't even equate it to what I had already published. And it wasn't a book. It was just a, uh, it was an article that went out over the internet and also in print through um, Nexus Magazine out of Australia but they are also printed internationally, and they have a, a very large uh, following on the web. So, uh, see, the thing is, when I tried to originally do the article and verify that these were real photographs based on a real event, I contacted the Capitol Police um, because Mr. Allen had told me he went to the Capitol Police the day after the he had uh, developed the photographs. He said, I went, to the, <laughs> I went to the Capitol, and I filed a police report. With the detective division, and I'm like, okay, well, there should be a record of that then. So I tried to get the information. They said, well, we can't give you that information. We're not going to confirm or deny that. Um, so I asked them a few questions, and they were asking me all kinds of questions like, well, who are you? What do you want? Uh, what are you going to do with this information? So basically, I put myself on somebody's radar unintentionally. Yeah. Uh, when I did that, I mean, I didn't think I was violating any, any laws, and I've never been charged with a violation of any laws. But clearly, somebody got very upset that I would uh, be publishing these photographs because it raises all kinds of questions. Look in the UFO community, the the old gag has always been, uh, well, if you you know if they're here, why don't they just land on the White House lawn? That's right. Uh, logistically, it's just down the street. I mean, literally, the White House lawn is just down the street on the mall from the Capitol Hill where the Capitol building is. So, um, you know, I it, it, basically they landed in Washington D.C. again, 
and nobody seems to care uh, about the fact that we have this photographic evidence. And it is evidence. I mean, 35 millimeter film, uh, one of the first things I said to Daryl is, well, he's got negatives and this guy seems legit. He's got, you know, he sent me some of his background. I've, I, I've seen his credentials with ABC and stuff. And, and Daryl says, well, you got to get the, the negatives analyzed. If he doesn't agree to that, then there's really, you can't go, don't go any further. So I said, okay. And I spoke to Mr. Allen. He says, okay, but I am not letting these negatives out of my sight. And I said, I understand. That's fine. You know, we just need to agree that they, some independent party has to uh, analyze these and um, verify whether or not they've been tampered with. And he said, fine. And uh, so we found a location there in, in D.C. Mr. Allen went in there. He actually took a, a tape recorder with him because I'd asked him to do that. And we got uh, – because I wanted to make a transcript of this individual who analyzed the film. He worked at a uh, uh, camera shop right across from the FBI headquarters where they actually do a lot of work for the FBI. Not that they are part of it. I'm just saying they're, they're a very well-established uh, camera shop that does and has a film lab. So he took it down there. The, guy, the, the, uh, the film guy says, wow, you know, um, this is unretouched. Clearly, I could – he put it in you know, on a light box with a loop, and he looked at it, and he says, no, these are absolutely authentic. He says, I'm not saying this is a UFO, and, we, and, and we're saying, no, no, you, no, whatever. Don't worry about it. That's not, we're not asking you to personally verify for anything other than that this is authentic. Right. So, so that's what it turned out to be, and that's when I went ahead and, and uh, published the article basically saying, you know, hey, they landed some years ago. And the reason it was a story was not only that they landed, but the fact that nobody, and I mean nobody, especially, like I told you, Mr. Allen had worked for ABC News. So who do you think the first people he, he contacted with these photographs outside of the Capitol Police, who do you think the first people in the media were that he contacted? His former employer. Right. Okay. And then it went from there. He tried National Geographic. They said no. Uh, other mainstream uh, you know, news media, they all rejected it. So then he started – Going into the UFO community thinking, well, these guys, it'll be like red meat for them. They'll just eat it up. Not the case. Not Is that the case. right? Even the UFO community? Yeah, absolutely. To this day, I think a lot of them are either running scared from this story or they think that somehow that Mr. Allen and I concocted this this story uh, for reasons that I still don't quite understand. But um, people are – highly intimidated by the power structure in Washington, D.C., and um, they also rely on them for to be told, you know, what is and what is not real. And so here's what, you know, what you'd mentioned before. Um, in 9-11, after the events of September 11, 2001, they increased the level of security and defense within the Washington, D.C. area because uh, not only was the Pentagon hit, but they felt that the Capitol building was, was a target for that particular flight, the one that crashed allegedly. That is in right. The, the, yeah. yeah, right. So um, <laughs> they do have defense systems in Washington, D.C. that are in place, but they were upgraded after the events of September 11, 2001. So now, how is it possible that a whole fleet of UFOs or objects or – I mean, these are intelligently controlled, clearly sure. – can come in not only and uh, fly into the heart of – because the prohibited airspace actually starts at the Washington Monument. Again, it's, it's on the mall, just like the White House and the Capitol. That's all within the same geographic location, what they call P, P-56-A. 
is is prohibited airspace, which is surrounded by restricted airspace, and I guarantee you it's heavily defended. Now, and how do I know this for sure? Well, because I've done a lot of research. I spent over six years researching this, and then as a result, we've got one article, two books, and uh, the world's largest archive of UFO images now available at unicusmagazine.com. If you click on either photography or books, you're going to get into my archive. It's free, and you've got photographs. Not not all of them are taken by Mr. Allen, by the way. Uh, we have video, and we also have two historic movies from 1952 that, as far as I know, according to Wendell Stevens, uh, Colonel Wendell Stevens, who's yep. deceased now, okay. he told me that all of that stuff had been uh, from 52 had been confiscated and classified. So how is it that it leaked out? Uh, it was intentional. In 1995, it was leaked to Disney. Uh, Walt Disney mm. used it. In 2005, uh, uh, Channel 4 in England began a series or not a series it was a documentary with uh, Nick Cook and um, UFO secret evidence something like that anyway in there was 17 seconds of that same night from 1952 where you know if you look at the still photograph yeah. where the fleet is coming behind there was there was a lot of people on the mall that's what the historic record says there was hundreds of people on the mall watching this many of them had cameras and or film cameras cuz i mean right, who wouldn't want to film something like that of course and the other thing was it didn't just happen Two or three times, like the media said, in 1952, uh, I'm sort of blanking on the exact number, but it was dozens of times, not just two or three. They they, they literally took over the airspace at that time, and the people in Washington, D.C. thought they were being invaded. And that would also explain why they felt the need to uh, uh, confiscate all the film and cameras. Because they didn't want the public seeing this, because then they could never have any plausible deniability, and they felt that there, uh, you know, some sort of panic might ensue, or they could lose control. So um, now back to the security level in 9/11 is is key to this thing because it was upgraded significantly within Washington D.C. And yet we have a whole fleet of UFOs coming in, and then um, uh, that was on the 16th. I think it was 10 days later. I believe it was 10 days later that uh, more UFOs came in. And and NORAD was scrambled, and they actually sent the jets up there. Uh, the uh, the what they called the Air National Guard was sent up to intercept. It was between two and three in the morning, or maybe it was one and three. Anyway, it was still early in the morning, just like when Mr. Allen took his pictures. And what people were reporting, these spherical objects that were being chased by the military, is exactly what Mr. Allen had caught on film ten days earlier at the Capitol. So they they weren't just backing off. They weren't backing off. They were. They have continued, in fact, to come into that airspace, and I'm pretty sure this is one of the reasons that I was being hassled is because the powers that be, maybe not everybody, but enough of them know this is an issue that they cannot control. And in fact, it may be something, a power or, or group entities uh, that is controlling them. I really think, Robert, that what worries the government is that publishing those pictures is proof that these craft can land with impunity and there's nothing that we can do about it. And that's what the government doesn't want us to know. I suppose, you know, uh, again, in the second book, and I, I didn't even intend to write a first book, actually. It's just because um, as part of my – okay, I wrote the article, and I didn't cite any of the other historical accounts, but I felt like – I should at least investigate that. And so as I got, you know, 20, 30 reports and I started looking at them and seeing all the similarities in a timeline, 
suddenly I was finding more and more and more. The more the more I looked, the more I found, and that kind of bothered me. I was wondering, how? Wait a minute, how can there be dozens and dozens of, re- of these reports in Washington D.C. and yet nobody yeah. seems to pay any attention whatsoever to it? So at some point, when I'd had I collected over two hundred of them, I thought, wait a minute, this is this, something is extremely wrong with this picture. Um, and I began to uh, analyze it and and c- compile this timeline, and it told me that as someone uh, I think a statistician I believe his name is Hatch Larry Hatch I I could be wrong now um, but he he had said he he discovered even through his limited database that statistically um, uh, Washington D.C. had more UFO sightings per square mile than any location on the planet right based based on his limited now I mean I think he only had maybe not even a hundred not even a hundred uh, sightings from 1850 to, to whatever year he was stopped at um, so. So even after I wrote the first book, people were sending me more stuff. I was finding more stuff, and eventually, um, just last year, I published a second book. And um, so not only does it have – I think the first book had 240-something reports. The second book has over 800 and honestly, I think there's a lot more than that. I just haven't been able to access them. They may be classified or people are just too afraid to come forward. I mean, if you look at the the photographs that I've acquired over the years and the videos and the movies that, that have been put out there, mainly it's all scattered to the wind. Uh, somehow I've become like a, a magnet for this information and it's all – and it's collecting. And, and the the picture, the story that we're getting now through this uh, work that I've I've done – is one that's quite disturbing. I'm not trying to um, frighten anyone. I just want to uh, inform them that there's something really wrong in Washington, D.C. I think everybody kind of knows it. Yeah. If you're paying any attention at all, you can see that these people go to Washington, D.C. to represent the will of the people. That's their job. That's where, what they're elected to do, and then they turn around and they don't do it. Um, and you could say, oh, it's power. It's you know whatever. Uh, it's corruption. No, it's a little deeper than that because you can't have – you cannot have – uh, alien individual entities covertly penetrating a prohibited space uh, like Washington, D.C., hundreds, if not possibly thousands of times from 1850 to the present, and and not there not be an agenda there. I mean, they're not just going there to sightsee, is my point. Clearly, there you know, there's some unusual things to see there, but this is not what would attract uh, a, an alien race or alien races to Washington, D.C. repeatedly over many decades, they have to have an agenda. And clearly it's covert. Otherwise, they would have just told us. You know, it always bothers me when people do things in secret. They're usually hiding it because they don't want anybody to know what they're doing. Especially in this land of the free, of transparency, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, that's a mm-hmm, that's a nice slogan. Right. Uh, and, you know, here's the thing. When I wrote the conclusion, I didn't know exactly what I was going to conclude uh, after all these years of writing. Uh, and what I found was actually quite disturbing uh, for me personally. And I think for us as a nation and us as a people here on this world and possibly beyond is that the um, the Catholic Church is intimately involved with, with Washington, D.C. even being the the way it is where it is and and there there as everybody seems to know that they're also involved in uh, exorcisms which is dealing with demonic entities uh you know possessing inhabiting the, uh individuals who, against their will and the most obvious case of that that most people around the world know because of the book and the movie is the exorcist right. 
Okay, uh, most people don't know, though, that that actually occurred in Washington, D.C. to a 13-year-old boy back in 1949 when a lot of the UFO stuff was just starting to uh, become reported. I, I think actually the numbers were probably very high even early on, but people didn't know what to call them or who to report them to. So, um, you know, my point is that I started to find that that uh, this was not an isolated event, uh, that the, the young boy in Georgetown actually uh, – he was not the only one. And what, what really put it over the top for me was that I found the, the historical evidence that there was a demon cat living in the sub-basement of the Capitol of the building. I thought, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. How can this be? Okay, you don't want to talk about the UFOs coming to D.C., and nobody seems to want to discuss the fact that there's demonic possession going on in D.C. either. Uh, and I started thinking, well, if they're the same entities, that would kind of make sense that they don't they, – they're there covert, they are there covertly and that they have an agenda and that is to manipulate us. But I didn't know for what reason up until recently. And unfortunately, uh, I, haven't, I didn't include that in the conclusion of the book because I didn't know it. Uh, and it's essentially this, is to feed off of the negative energy that humans uh, generate when we are being manipulated or in fear uh, or pain, suffering. And there's only a few people in this world that have made that connection. To me, at mm -hmm. least, the mm -hmm. first time I've ever heard of uh, the word archon, and this is where you're going with this, right, yep, yep. Uh, was John Lamb Lash. Yeah. And when I started looking at this and looking at the images, uh, what's his name from Canada, the one who published the... Uh, oh, Alfred the Weber. No, not, not Alfred oh. Weber. He's also into this, but oh. the, 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 the man who a lot of people think he's dead, I forgot his name, the one from Canada who published all the, the secret NASA transmissions. Oh. You know who okay. I'm talking about. Uh, yes, yes, I can't. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name. That's I fine. I know you don't have me. That's fine. I just, uh, I have it right here somewhere. But anyway, um, when I saw those amoeba looking, mm -hmm. dare we say, craft, or even biological yeah, entities yeah. that behave yeah. like craft, yeah. I thought, I wonder if there's a correlation between these and those energies that come down to feed off, you know, out of our, of, of people who are dying, people who are suffering, and mm -hmm. that's, they're taking life force away from humanity. Is that what you think? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, um, uh, Jay Widener has also done a lot of work on oh, this. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Jay. Jim, sure. Jim Nichols put out a, uh, a documentary about it recently, um, you know, I, I put a press release out there when I figured it out that the pictures uh, that, that Trevor Constable had taken and also the NASA footage of the, you know, during the Tether experiment, that these were all the same entity that Carlos Castaneda's and the Toltecs through, allegedly through Don Juan had told us about. Um, and so I started to make some correlations and analysis that, that really kind of completed my understanding of what's really going on in Washington, D.C., and what really bothered me, though, was that this it didn't begin and end in Washington, D.C. It was something that was not just happening to people of influence in our world. It was happening to just about everybody was uh, vulnerable to these things because they're typically unseen to the naked eye. Unless you're in a heightened state of awareness or an altered state of consciousness, you wouldn't see these things. They, they're in a – and, and this, this goes back to what I said originally. Um, there are things. There are craft. There are entities that exist just beyond our – uh, vision, our normal range of vision. If you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, it, we only uh, we can only see a very narrow slice of the middle of that. Right. Uh, and and therefore, there's all kinds of things that are just beyond our range of vision and even hearing uh, that exist in our same dimension. 
and they they can act with impunity. And in fact, that was what the photograph showed from uh, September. No, excuse me. Uh, July 16th, 2002, that Mr. Allen took at the Capitol. Upon further analysis, what we saw was uh, at least two of the images had wormholes uh, captured on film. And having never seen this before, we didn't even know what we were looking at. The first one was really profound. It was actually the last photograph of the evening. And uh, Stanton Friedman had helped uh, Mr. Allen a little bit, trying to uh, give him some advice on how to – to look into the night sky a little bit clearer. And it's really quite simple. If you're looking at a, a picture of UFOs in a black sky, what we did was simply adjust the contrast and the brightness. That's it. Right. We, we didn't add anything. We actually reduced the, the signals of certain frequencies, and that's when we started seeing a fractal pattern of energy that these craft had, had generated. So essentially, they do warp space. I don't know where they get the energy to do this because it has to be a phenomenally large amount of energy according to science, what science knows about these, what they call Einstein-Rosen bridges. Some people call them wormholes, stargates. Um, doesn't matter what you call them. The fact of the matter is that they do exist. They clearly do exist, and it's what allows these, these craft to pop in and out of controlled airspace at will. And obviously, our, our aircraft are no match for, for these things at all. Absolutely. And the name of the Canadian investigator that a lot of people thought was dead is Martin Stubbs, and he's not dead, folks. Okay, he good. actually contacted him thinking that he was, and he responded. He did get a brain tumor shortly oh, after he published those videos, but he's fine. He's a little bit under the radar, but he's going to be coming back to discuss his findings mm-hmm. soon. And just credit to my friend Jim Nichols. He was the one who actually introduced me to the term archons. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned the Vatican. I always find... Also, a correlation between Washington and and the Vatican, of course. But right. we always think of the Vatican vaults, but we never mm-hmm. think of what's under the Capitol. Apparently, <laughs> there's um, something under the Capitol too, right? Well, there was, according to and this this uh, particular letter that came out from an individual. She claimed that she he was the daughter of a Reverend Holt, who was the allegedly the cousin of Cordell Hall, who was the Secretary of State under, I believe, it was Truman. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he'd been he'd served there for many years back in the and and back in the 30s, uh, uh, according to the daughters. Now, their father, after he passed away, they were informed to go ahead and let this information go public, which is that um, uh, Reverend Holt, at the time, his his cousin was working at the Capitol. He'd been in, intimately involved in the inner workings of Washington D.C. He was sworn to secrecy by Secretary of State Cordell Hall and and said, uh, come on, I want to show you something under the Capitol in the sub-basement, but you cannot tell anybody about this. Okay, there was an agreement that he took him down there, unlocked some door, took him in and actually showed him uh, what the Reverend uh, described as creatures, not human, but cre- humanoid creatures that were in uh, glass uh, containers full of liquid. Which is typically what most people say. That's right. how the grays are being stored, you know, whatever, from Alnheim. And then nearby was some sort of uh, dismantled wreckage of a craft. Now, that was allegedly back in the 30s. And the fact that it would be stored under, <laughs> under the Capitol building, I have no idea how it got there. Uh, but I guarantee you this much. Um, the UFO phenomena didn't start in 1947 at Roswell. The government's knowledge of it, as I document in my second book, it it goes farther back than that, and um, in fact, I mean, as you said, the Vatican seems to know a lot about this, um, quite a bit that they don't ever want to divulge. But you know, the whole concept of communion, as as Whitley being a Catholic, what he was trying to say is that I mean, who do you think 
that you're communing with. When you when when you go through these rituals, it isn't just to marry in Jesus or whatever. I mean, this whole concept, according to the Gnostics, is that um, that they set up that the, the, these nefarious, covert, negative extraterrestrials set up an illusory or illusionary type of system. A matrix is what most people call it now. Sure. Uh, of illusions that allow uh, us to to actually worship them, rather than the Creator, we're watch, we're worshiping these these demigods, these demons, uh, who have essentially enslaved us covertly, and, and they want to keep it that way because you know otherwise we would revolt or we, we may simply just refuse to produce for them, you know. So they have to remain in the shadows, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. But yeah, apparently there was something under the Capitol and. Here's what I find interesting is in 2002 when that letter came out, that was the same year that the photographs were taken of these things swarming over and even landing on the Capitol. It was also the same year they started construction on the Underground uh, Visitors Capitol Center. Underground Capitol Visitor Center. Anyway, it's a huge – I mean it's two-thirds the size of the actual Capitol, but it's all underground. That's right. So they dug up, I mean, this just an immense amount of uh, volume of, of ground. And there. they went over budget for how many millions? Yeah, for, and it took them, yeah, they went over, it took them longer, cost more money. Well, what were they doing? And in my opinion, there could have been a lot more under the Capitol that it, they didn't want uh, anybody to know about or that they couldn't take out the front door. So they created an underground uh, system that, in order to get these things, these artifacts, out of there. Uh, and, well, one, and, let me just interject for a second. One might, th- might think, and I've heard about this not only in the Capitol in Washington, but also mm-hmm. in a lot of the state capitals, that uh, they're doing this in case of a, a catastrophe. They can store their, their government personnel there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with all the states being bankrupt, I just don't know how, how they're getting their money to do all of this. Uh, they've been doing this for a long time now. Uh, yeah. the, the deep underground military bases is only sure. part of it. They do. The government has something called a continuity of government. Of course. It allows for all kinds of funds to be appropriated without any oversight in order to – I mean, what I found out, there's at least 90 underground cities surrounding Washington, D.C. There may actually be one directly under Washington, D.C. Um, there is a tunnel system, absolutely – are a series of tunnel systems that are modern that the, the Obama administration uh, released a, a sanitized version of a map uh, that connects all the major buildings to this tunnel system. Uh, some of it has railway in it. Others, I don't know what the conveyances systems are in order – because I don't think they're down there riding bicycles or walking. They, they certainly have other probably high-speed uh, systems that allow them to transport themselves. But – there's also what I found quite fascinating was even before the city was built, um, some of the early uh, settlers there, Catholic, uh, had found an underground tunnel system. I mean, allegedly. I, I okay, we I have to say that it was allegedly reported that uh, uh, Pierre L. Enfant had had actually been taken in there by one of the uh, uh, the, the wealthy landowners there. His last name was Burns. And what's really weird is I looked at an old map and it says there Burns Discovery, but it doesn't say what the discovery was. And it happens to be in this in this same location. It's a very small geographic area, but um, uh, it's possible. What I'm trying to say is, according to the historical record, is that it's possible there was some sort of ancient Atlantean or other uh, anti what do you call that um, antediluvian pre-flood type of civilization had been in that location in the past and had uh, created an underground city. I mean, here's the thing. 
uh, people think that you know underground cities only started back in the Cold War. It's not That's true right. at all. Not true at all. Um, there are uh, ancient tunnels and ancient uh, cities all over the world, specifically in Turkey. Yeah. Central Turkey and also down in South America that we know of. I would suspect in China, underneath the pyramid complexes there, there's probably all kinds of uh, cities and tunnels there that we haven't or have no need to access because we're not welcome there. Um, and, you know, this is this is just – I'm just kind of glossing over it right now. It's a very complex subject. But um, uh, this this world has a lot of history that has yet to be revealed to us because essentially and unfortunately, we are slaves. And I know this is America and people don't like to hear that, but the whole entire system as it was set up was to encourage us to be productive and yet un- completely unaware of the control mechanisms that had been established to keep us enslaved permanently. Absolutely. And as I told you before we started, uh, one of my clients was the company used to work at uh, Honda. But in addition, I had uh, Hughes Aircraft. I had a lot of defense contractors. And I also had Bechtel in San Francisco. (laughs) And and I had to uh, go through certain levels of security in order to get to certain departments. But I remember clearly talking to somebody who was telling me that they were building underground facilities uh, throughout the United States. And this is during the time when Denver, remember when Denver Mm -hmm. kept going forward? You know, it was billions of dollars over budget all the time. So... Going back to 2001 for a second, September mm-hmm. the 10th, you remember mm-hmm. Secretary Rumsfeld coming out yeah. to, to Congress saying, we lost $2.3 trillion. Do you think all this money, and maybe even the bailouts, do mm-hmm. you think this is being used to subsidize all these facilities? Absolutely. Uh, illegal drug trade was oh, another sure, way. sure, of course. And um, uh, the... We see. Here's the other thing. We have to take their word for it that they spent trillions of dollars also on national defense f- for the nuclear weapon systems. We don't know if those things are real or not, or I should say that they're not just dummies. Right. Uh, uh, that that's not a shell game, also, because clearly it does take. It takes a lot of money and manpower, uh, and it had to be diverted covertly in order to build all these underground cities. Not just build them, but to power them. Uh, and uh, to get the food down there and uh, get the water systems. For example, M- um, Mount Weather was an unknown for many, many, many years. Uh, people had no idea that there was an underground capital about 40 miles away from the actual capital in D.C. Out in Virginia, there is uh, – or was an essentially an entire city where they had an, uh, a replica of the capital in case the, the, you know Washington, D.C. was nuked. They had this underground city that would function as a new capital uh, for the United States, whatever form and fashion it was going to be in. They they wanted to have a continuity of government. So, but that really was only one of many uh, underground cities and bases, and um, uh, it probably would have remained secret if somebody hadn't crashed an airplane there and people, you know, uh, started paying attention, and ultimately this, it was all revealed. But um, yeah, where do you get the funding for that? Uh, Clearly, it's it's been mainly covert. I, I think when Rumsfeld said that the money was uh, missing, it just means that, that, like you said, it literally had gone underground. Um, I, I know for a fact that TRW, uh, I have a, a associate that had worked there, and he explained to me that um, prior to going to work as the head of NASA, Dan Golden was, was working at TRW, mm-hmm. and he helped misappropriate money from uh, – an Air Force project so that um, 
sorry, I'm I'm trying to think of the exact details. Essentially, there was millions of dollars that went disappeared. So of course, a, a, a lawsuit was filed. The FBI got involved. And uh, my friend was very upset about all this because they were asking him questions. And he says, well, Dan Golden was the one that authorized this. Of course, he was being directed to do this. Now, there was a court case brought in Los Angeles against TRW for making, uh, I think it was something like 60-something million dollars. Uh, They call it misappropriated from one fund, and they wanted to know where the money went. Well, the court records were sealed, so I couldn't find out, even though I was being given instructions that this was happening. Probably better that I didn't know. Right. Uh, but it, I, I can tell you, it took me many years, and coincidentally, I found out what they were doing was taking money from one project and putting it into an ultra covert system of satellites um, that were being launched on mainly on um, um, the space shuttle. And uh, these were offensive in the sense that they were uh, for cyber warfare and considered to be a key to the future. And um, they could not be admitted. To their existence because they violate all kinds of law and uh, would have really ticked off quite even our allies. And um, so rather than being prosecuted, uh, Dan Golden was promoted to the head of NASA shortly after that little debacle at TRW. And that's basically how it works. I mean, there's a lot of things that we we see in the news are, are just completely um, Nonsense. It's it's just part of the propaganda to cover up what they're really doing behind the scenes. Of course, if anybody believes what they watch in the news, I have a bridge uh, to know where to sell them. But yeah. this this misdirection, if we could call it a, a fund, it reminds me of uh, Gary McKinnon, the 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 British hacker. Yeah. When he mentioned uh, two supposed vessels from the United States, the USS Roscoe Hillencotter and the USS Curtis LeMay. There's, those are nowhere to be found in the Navy. Right. Those could be actually flying over us. Do you think this could also be going to the secret space program? Yeah. Uh, it, look, here's the thing. Anything's possible. I mean, and if you really had ev evidence of something like this, you would never uh, present it publicly. Because first of all, the media would not, even if they did report it, they would immediately attack you or ridicule you. And... Um, If it was really, truly sensitive enough material, you would end up dead right? or disappeared. I mean, that's just the way it works. I mean, um, uh, it's it's really pathetic that, that this world has to operate this way. I mean, we're, we're not tapping into our true potential. But, you know, I, I do think that's all coming to a, a – it's, it's going to shift. I do see a shift coming. I know there's there are good DTs that are very concerned about us, as I report in the second book, Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C., that there's been times when uh, good ETs have approached the Pentagon and the White House and tried to assist us, but that was – ultimately, their assistance was rejected, um, mainly because – and I didn't understand it at the time, but uh, now looking back on it, it has to be because the, the negatives are, are covertly controlling – Uh, everything, including key individuals within the, the political and military system. And I'm so glad that that you mentioned this in, in your uh, books, that I realized some of the occupants of UFOs, you say this, uh, I realized that some of the occupants of UFOs are hostile, while yeah. others are not. Right. Now, that's such a sensible statement, Robert, because why do I say this? Because some say they're all benevolent, mm -hmm. others say they're all malevolent. I'm in the middle, just like you. There's good yeah. and bad everywhere. We just have to be cautious. That's all. Uh, discernment, yes, which right. would do do a lot of good. But you know, 
denying that they even exist is not helping us at all. It's actually assisting the bad guys to continue their covert behavior. And the the other problem is that the the reason the good guys can't simply just land and talk to us is because they're being prohibited from doing so by the bad guys that are here running the show. I mean, it's the last thing they want is for the public to suddenly see – uh, oh, here's an extraterrestrial, here's how they live, here's how they transport, here's their medical, they, they have a different economy. People would want to emulate that. They would start asking questions, you know, how long have you known about this? Well, why can't we, you know, have this kind of system? I mean, it just, it, everything went unravel. Honestly, it, it's, it, it is the ultimate Rosetta Stone. If you want to understand the mother of all conspiracies, it, it's, it's Washington, D.C., the Vatican, the covert relationship with these negative extraterrestrials that, in my opinion, probably goes uh, directly to the heart of the Orion Empire. And a lot of people talk about that. Um, but it is an empire. It's sort of like in Star Wars that, you know, you have the empire, you have these rebels fighting against it. But you also have, uh, in my estimation, a federation of free worlds that do communicate with each other and assist each other to remain free. Um I think they have very different methods for protecting themselves and even liberating a world like this is a really difficult challenge. I mean, um, uh, on my website, I do have a, a place where you can vote, and I highly recommend people do, uh, as to whether or not we should welcome the good extraterrestrials to land among us. I mean, good meaning peaceful extraterrestrials that are here to assist, because they simply will not intervene on our behalf. They're not going to just land un- uninvited. It would be dangerous, and it actually would be unethical, and it is illegal but for them see, to but, do so. But who represents us on planet Earth? Because people say, oh, governments do. Mm. But I bet you the majority of the people would be in favor of this happening if truly they would they were here to help and unshackle right. the, the, the entire planet. Clearly, and that's why, again, why the, the powers that be do not want us to have a dialogue with the good extraterrestrials. So, what I, when I asked about, when I asked some of the good ETs that I've been in touch with over the years. Oh, you how have? Do we, yeah, I just asked them, well, how can we help ourselves to, you know, what can we do to make the situation better? They said, just welcome us down. Well, it sounds simple, you know, uh, and up until, I wanted to do it with the first book when it came out in uh, December 2006, but I I really didn't know how. So, now I understand uh, technologically, it's, it's pretty simple, and it's all anonymous, it's free, it'll take you like three minutes or less. Just go there and click on vote at unicusmagazine.com. Click on where it says vote, and take the question. The first question is most important, and it's trending around. It's it's hovering. It's uh, three always around ninety to ninety two percent of the people that take that poll say yes. Let's welcome the peaceful extraterrestrials to land without any uh, interference. You know, let's just let them land. Let's talk to them. The other six questions there are based on okay. So what kind of relationship do you want to have with them if they are allowed to? If they do show up, you know. Uh, would you want them to help us uh, solve some of our problems? Would you like to have an exchange program with them? Uh, would you be willing to le- uh, learn telepathy from them if it means, even if it means losing all uh, the ability to have your own secrets? Uh, you know, so there's a lot of different implications about having a relationship with the good extraterrestrials, um, and the, probably the most obvious one that I didn't include there is because um, uh, I didn't want to freak people out. <laughs> Uh, the good ETs are uh, diametrically opposed to the bad ones that are that have been here. So that would probably be part of the educational process is they, them giving us information that we could then verify. And I mean, has to be verified. Of course. Because you can't take anybody's word for it at this point. Uh, 
for anything uh, because we are in, at war. Uh, we have been at war. We're in the middle of a battlefield, and don't even most people don't even know it that the good guys and the bad guys have been battling for this particular world for our for the future of of mankind as we represented here. Uh, it's they do want us to be liberated, and the reason my understanding is the reason is because we're all related, and they don't want to see any of their family being enslaved and, and abused uh, and manipulated the way we've been here. For a period of time, I know it feels like thousands of years, but you know, relatively speaking, that's that's not a very long time. Uh, of course, we have very relatively short lifespans compared to most right. uh, intelligent species. So, it, it again, it seems like a long time. And uh, the main thing is that we really have been divorced from our origins and from our family as part of this really imprisonment. You know, this internment that 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 has gone on here in this world. By the negatives uh, for for far too long, in my opinion. And I think uh, we see planned obsolescence. I, I mentioned this all <laughs> the time: planned obsolescence with cars and appliances. Yeah. I wonder because you know I'm not religious, but I look at the Bible and it shows how people used to live 900, a thousand years supposedly. Mm-hmm. I wonder if these so-called controllers may have tampered our DNA so that we actually don't last more than, say, 85 to 100 years, because the more you live, the more you experience, the more you wake up, the more truth you know, and the mm-hmm. less control they will have. And uh, not only that, you would actually would acquire wealth. That's right. Over a period of time, so that you would be less uh, vulnerable to manipulation that way. I, yeah, absolutely. They, they, have, mm, they have done a number on us, on our DNA. Um, and, and this other thing that you'd mentioned, that particular... Uh, I mean, when we call them archons, I, that, all that's a Greek term. It means lord or ruler, and um, that's what they do to us. They they rule us and lord over us covertly, and they feed off of us. They 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 control all the resources and all the people on this planet in secret, and they've been very efficient at doing that. But like I say, I think I see that unraveling now. Uh, quite rapidly, and um, it's going to be a shock for a lot of people. Really, it's going to it's going to be very much a rude awakening. I think as as this time uh, moves forward for us, uh, a lot of things will be revealed. And um, I don't think uh, you know the powers that be. I believe they got a message in 1917. Uh, the prophecies from Fatima mm-hmm. in Portugal, sure. the the so-called miracle of the sun. I believe that the church was given a direct message from the good ETs that, look, we're only going to tolerate this for so long uh, if if you're not willing to do what's right and the people are unwilling to stand up to you and ask for assistance, then we will literally be forced to take action against you uh, to, to uh, you know, level the playing field or at least take you out of, uh, in other words, we have to remove you because you're you're so harmful. You're doing so much harm to this world and these people that it simply can't be permitted. So, and it's uh, so contradictory to me when, when, and this is true as, as per the statistician that you spoke to mm-hmm. regarding all the the sightings that we see that are disproportionate, and we see so many more in Washington D.C. You would expect it to be the opposite that you'd see, you'd find them more elsewhere, not mm-hmm. in Washington D.C. being the most protected area in the world, which to me says one thing, power, that these right. people are un- working in collusion with our leaders, and perhaps they're doing it covertly for control purposes only. <laughs> yeah, I, I look, I didn't want to come to that conclusion, but 
the more I analyzed the information that is available, I couldn't. Re- I just couldn't deny this, and I was. I, I knew that by publishing the second book, and the conclusion, the way I, I essentially what I said was that um, the leaders of our world are being controlled, manipulated by demonic entities, and that this is something that is well known to the Vatican. Uh, and has been known even before there was a Washington D.C. There's this is I mean they called them legion for a reason. They know that there's a hierarchy of these archons, and that um, uh, the chief exorcist for the for the Vatican has recently come out and said, you know, the Vatican is being manipulated by this same force. That exorcisms are on the rise, and that these demonic entities have actually penetrated the heart of the Vatican. I don't know when that occurred. But clearly, it has occurred. So, uh, London, Washington, D.C., and the Vatican are the um, the trilogy of darkness here on this world, and they're fort- fortresses where they have um, uh, established a – it's a world order. You know, they talk about the new world order. Um, it's I don't see how it's any different than the, the one that, that currently exists. Other than that, there might they may actually have to be a little more open about the, what they're up to, but I know that that's going to cause problems for them, and they know it too. They cannot come out openly and say, "This is who we are. This is what we do," uh, and you're basically our property. You know, Charles Fort was one of the early um, paranormal researchers, but and he was basing it all on newspaper articles, and he came to the conclusion that we were someone's property. And I'm sure he was very unhappy when he came to that conclusion, but it was based on just, you know, so much empirical evidence that was being published by various people around the world as to, uh, you know, these phenomena. He could only come to the conclusion that there was another life form or group of life forms that were here and essentially treating us like cattle. Absolutely. And I think also that they continue passing information out saying that we need a new world order. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we heard George H.W. Uh, Bush in 19, September 11th, 1990, saying yeah. we need a new world order. 11 years to the day, we got September 11th, 2001. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, we have the city of London with finance, Washington, D.C. with the military, mm-hmm. and Vatican City with religion. Mm-hmm. I think the new world order has been order has been here for quite some time, and we just don't seem to see it. All countries, all currency is just an illusion. The voting booth yeah. is an illusion. Democracy is an illusion. I mean, look at us. We're the biggest capitalist uh, country in the world, yet we are borrowing from the biggest communist country in the world, China. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Well, we don't borrow all our money. We we print a lot of it. That's true. Uh, That's Based true. on some crazy agreement that says that we're the global reserve currency. That's right. And I don't know what that is really based on. I know the Bretton Woods agreement, but it, I still don't quite understand why that was, but it was some sort of collusion. Again, um, so much of everything that goes on in this world is covert that it, it, I stand behind the conclusion of my second book. I, and you know, I was very uncomfortable doing so because I knew that people were already unhappy with my investigation and to now ratchet it up a bit and say, you know, uh, the majority of these visitations to Washington DC are, um, part of a covert agenda and it's not for the benefit of mankind uh that's that's a pretty unpopular thing to say but at the same time i knew that if i didn't say this that nobody else would um and therefore it 
you know, we would probably not make as much progress. I mean, here's the thing. You can't solve a problem if you don't know you have one. That's right. So, and I don't, I don't, I take no pleasure in being the bearer of bad news, but somebody had to point this out. And um, I believe it was done in a credible fashion. I don't think I was being extremely alarmist. I certainly wasn't condemning anybody for this. I'm just saying it's the way it is. And until we actually address this as a reality, instead of denying that it's a reality, uh, we're not going to make much progress. I mean, and I understand people's frustration. I do. I, I, I can see where they're angry for being, you know, caught up in a system that enslaves them and frustrated that they don't know how to fix it. But they haven't really looked deep enough, in my opinion, to understand how how bad the situation, how bad is it? Most people don't know. I'm still learning. I'm 52. I've been studying uh, this, researching this professionally since I was a very young man, um, and reporting on it, like I said, since professionally since 1991. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. In fact, uh, you know, you'd mentioned about not being religious. Neither am I, but that doesn't mean I don't believe in God. I just don't believe in religion because it has actually been so detrimental to uh, mankind. And so, I just the other day, uh, I, I came across something called deism. Now, I, I knew that a lot of the founding fathers uh, and the pamphleteer Thomas Paine, he, he called himself, they called themselves deists. That's right. I, didn't, I, I really didn't know what that meant until I came across it yesterday. Uh, I was preparing for a, another show I'm going to do this evening uh, on my own radio show, um, the Unicus Radio Hour, about the pagan origins of the Bible. So I'm looking, I, I guess I really didn't understand. So I, I find it fascinating that this is a country now here where they say that, uh, you know, separation of powers, church and state, and all that stuff. To some extent, you have freedom um, f- for, you know, of religion, not, uh, excuse me, freedom for religion? I forget exactly what the wording's for. Most people say they would, you know... Freedom off religion? Of religion, yes. Right. Here, that you can, you're free to choose which religion as opposed to being dictated to you. But the truth is that the entire system is based on Roman Catholic law. The, the entire court system is based on Roman Catholic law. There, You know, this is the other thing people don't understand, and what I didn't understand until recently, is that um, the Vatican is not just a church, it's a global institution, and it has it in it, it um, enforces laws, because you know the it actually grew from the Roman Empire, and then when the whole the, the Roman Empire fell, it resurrected itself as the Holy Roman Empire, and uh, you know after it adopted Christianity as its as its new religion, uh, you know uh, Jove of Jupiter was now replaced by Jehovah. That's right. It was, a, it was pretty seamless. And and the you know one of the tying it back to Washington DC that the seven hills of Rome on one of the seven hills there in, in Rome was the uh, the Capitolium where they would worship uh, Jupiter not as a planet but as a man. He was a man sitting on a throne at least that's what the statues portrayed him as. Now where in the what does that mean? Was he from Jupiter? Did he have a base on Jupiter, maybe on one of the moons? Uh, and he was always flanked by his wife and sister. So was he a polygamist or was he you know, adulterer? What was his deal? But the senators would actually – and this is confusing to me too. The senators would go to the Capitolium to uh, have conversations or some communications with Jove, a, a man god. And this is how they were. This is how they were actually administrating the entire country, which was more than a country. It was an empire, yeah. or was it an extension of an Orion Empire? 
maybe that's that's the real issue they really don't want to open their archives to is that these guys are just front men for a much larger empire. I recently had, uh, you may, may know who Dolores Cannon is, but I yes. had her on the show and we were talking about our, our mutual visits to the Vatican and she said mm -hmm. she was recently there once again and she took a tour with this very, very unique tour guide that knows everything there. Mm -hmm. And he was telling her that she, she, was, she was saying, why is it so, so many Egyptian hieroglyphs and so many artifacts here. And the man said, oh, you see that mural over there? You see a man with a baby in a barn? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the depiction of Mary and Jesus that the Catholics are using. Mm -hmm. But that really never happened. We just wanted to put it in the Bible to make it a little more palatable, more readable. Yeah. And uh, he says, the Pope knows about it. Everybody in the Vatican knows about it but they can't tell the public. So if that's one of them, imagine what other lies they're telling us. And I grew up a Roman Catholic, and that's why I'm so disappointed with all the lies. Yeah, I figured, uh, yes, coming from Puerto Rico, I imagine you would, I kind of figured you would have grown up Roman Catholic like most people. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. I, I, I was not born into that system, but I understand it completely. I've studied uh, comparative religion for many years, But like I said, until re yesterday, I didn't understand that I would actually have to define myself as a deist. I just didn't know that. And and again, part of this process was uh, by studying Roman Catholicism and what it has become as a global uh, body of governance, that they do have their own military and finance and that they, they uh, wow, they've really, you know, it's not just a religion, okay? It is an empire. It's what I'm trying to help people see. I know it's kind of difficult to do this over the radio, but uh, – There's a series of articles uh, or links that I have on my website. If you click at the top where it says "Know Thyself," you'll be you'll be given access to free information there that would I would hope helps you to understand who you are, because you're not here individually. You're here. You're part of a collective, and there's there's a tremendous amount of corruption, and uh, in within this system, and there's also a lot of information that has been withheld from us about who we are and what we are. And the most beautiful saying I, I can offer to anybody listening is that uh, we do not have a soul. We are a soul that has a body. And we're temporarily occupying a physical form here for the experience. We're here to evolve. And unfortunately, that whole system, uh, that process has been interrupted by some fallen entities. That's right. Fallen meaning that they have turned away from the light. Because light is energy, is consciousness. And this is the other thing, the other lie that they have uh, put upon us into our, our, our consciousness is that we are somehow just a, a, a random thing that emerged, that there is no intelligence involved, that um, uh, everything is just matter and energy. That doesn't, you know, and Einstein said, well, energy and matter, same thing. Yeah, well, where's it coming from? Well, we don't know, but we can't create it and we can't destroy it, so therefore it must be Uh, an entity, a god, the god. Okay, that's good, but how did he do it? How does God create? And it turns out in the new, um, the newly emerged science of digital physics, at least that's what they're calling it, it's new to us, it's very ancient. But what it, it shows is, demonstrates clearly, this model actually fits, is that uh, consciousness is digital. It can be any size. But consciousness is the highest frequency. If you, if you take it down a notch, 
that same energy, excuse me, that same frequency. Now you take it down and lower the frequency, it becomes now what we call energy. You lower the frequency again of that same thing, it is now matter. But it's always consciousness. And that's how come that it would explain why everything has uh, codes written into it. In other words, there's, it can constantly communicate with itself. And there's, there's higher orders of communication and, and uh, processing going on. But, you know, just like you have hardware and software, these things are different. You know, think about it. Your, your hardware is a lower frequency vibration, but it's still this made of the same stuff. The, the, the code is, is probably the highest form because it's the, w- without it, you know, there is no programming. But then there's the electricity. That, so you've got, I'm sort of jumping around there, but you've actually got, again, the three levels of, you know, consciousness, energy, and matter all being involved in a computer. Otherwise, without, you take one of those out of there and, and the system doesn't work. It's the same way with this, who we are and what we are. And I, I mention it because it's, it's really not that complex, but it, it's, it's extremely liberating. As they say, you know, the old saying, the truth would set you free. Yeah. And this is the, they don't want us to be free. And that's why they don't, they don't give us access to the truth. Or when, they, when you do see it, it's, it's so often a corner or ridiculed that, that most people just dismiss it. But um, It's an illusion of freedom. Yes. Well, clearly, because we, lo- we labor. We produce. We're more productive for them when we labor under the illusion of freedom and individuality here. Not just America, but I mean this world. We've been so conditioned to believe that we're somehow separate and alone, and that God is something out there. Uh, you know, this is this is all part of the process. And specifically about what I said before, if, if once we can reconnect with our extended family, it's it, that'll be truly a glorious time because people uh, we will begin to uh, emulate our cousins from the stars, and uh, I mean the good ones, the good guys. And we'll, we'll just live a, a much more liberated life. Uh, it won't be so predatory, and there won't be the same amount of cruelty. Competitions can still exist, but not with all, all the cruelty, with, not with all the corruption. That's right. And what I always say, you know, slavery was never abolished. It mm. was transformed into the nine-to-five matrix. It's, it's all production, <laughs> consumption. Yeah. And pleasure. And to that, we can add debt. But we have to take our one and only intermission. But I have to uh, mention one thing, because you also had a second wake-up call that I'd like to learn more when we come back. But speaking of uh, the unmarked black helicopters hovering, I've had so many people contact me with the same situation. And of course, we don't want to believe, we want to know. Mm -hmm. So I had the same experience. I went to the East City, uh, James Gillilands Ranch uh, for the last two years, and last June, I believe, at 1.30 in the morning. I was awoken, and everybody who was there awoken at 1.30 in the morning. There was a Chinook helicopter over us hovering for over 10 minutes. And this thing must have been a couple hundred feet over our heads. And this should be absolutely illegal. And the question I have for you, Mm -hmm. do they think that they're getting us scared with this? I mean, unless they're they're, they're pointing a missile to us, what are they they doing? Because I didn't fear fear at all. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure what kind of equipment they have on board, but I assume that it has something to do with uh, scanning technology and um, that that is almost like science fiction. I, mm. I, I, that's my understanding about it. I can't prove that, but um, 
I've had a lot of conversations with people about it. It's not illegal because they're operating in under laws that are not on the books. Right. Of but course. They, it serves a purpose that is beyond what, you know, what we would understand, uh, again, for the world order. Just like um, chemtrails. Yeah, but we're considered we're considered criminals, but we can't be incarcerated because then they would have to charge us publicly. Right. So so there's other ways that they can ritually uh, imprison us and put like barriers around us. Well, but now Robert, they have the new NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, Understood. that allows anybody to come the military to pick you up, and you don't have any right to an attorney anymore. That all transpired recently. You're That's right. right. That's right. But tell us how to get in touch with all these. By the way, folks, mm. if you don't have these books from Robert Stanley, you're missing out. I mean, they really blew my mind. The The amount of information ranging from the 1850s. And one thing I want to discuss with you when we come back okay. is the poster boy of the UFO community is always Roswell, 1947. Yeah. But we have to go back to the 1800s and maybe even hundreds or thousands of years when there's historical records out mm. there that show that we have been visited for so long. But mm. tell us how to get in touch with your books, your radio program, your website. It's all available at unicusmagazine.com, U-N-I-C-U-S magazine.com. And uh, my books and the radio show, photography, music. Got, I got a lot of stuff there for free. I think you'll find it quite entertaining and educational. And we also have links on our website. Thank I you. have the pleasure here to be with uh, Robert Stanley, and there's so much more to discuss when we come back from the break. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We'll continue this interview with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member, just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, Listen to some music, and I'll see you in the member section. Enjoy.
Enjoy it. 